plus years now. He spoke on a servant's heart. And we, it's funny, before breakfast, we all got up early, read our Bibles, had coffee and whatnot. And we all sat down in the chapel, all five of us. And we kind of discussed some stuff we're going through and just stuff in our lives, stuff in our families, that kind of thing. Going through all this thing and we're like, how do we deal with this? And it wasn't two hours later, Dr. Farrell preaches a message and is like, that's how you do it. And to be honest, I left really convicted. I left how God showed me how inadequate we truly are as people. And it was geared towards men, but the sermon in itself is phenomenal. I downloaded it this afternoon. And so if you do want it, I do have it. But um, with that, with the internship this summer, dad said, you need to preach an exegetical series, which means verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And my OCD self was figuring I have four times to preach. I'm not going to do like Matthew and get through the first four chapters, something like that. So I was like, I need something that I can fit in. And the book of Jonah came to mind. Jonah's four chapters, four fairly short chapters. So I figured, let's look at that. So the past couple weeks, I've been studying mainly chapter one for tonight. So if you turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter one, I've kind of titled the whole series we're going to be doing, How to Deal with God's Course Corrections. You know, we as Christians, are, we as Christians, as people, are so set on a plan that we have that it's hard to veer off that plan. As a college student just finishing up, I was schedule run. I mean, my, my calendar was the key. If I veered off from the calendar, life, it was done. So as a college student, I was run by the schedule, and any kind of correction or adjustment or alteration to that, it kind of got with me. I'm kind of a person, once I have a plan, let's do that plan. Let's not veer off that plan. If we veer off that plan, the plan's not going to work. It really made traveling with dad hard just to be honest. Yesterday, we were thinking, hey, let's drive home, so let's, let's go over Independence Pass. I was thinking, great, add a little bit of time to the thing. We'll be home, I don't know, maybe three, three o'clock in the afternoon. That's what I was thinking. Ten hours later, we pull into the church parking lot a little off, off course. So your life is run by this plan, and I was thinking about this topic when I was reading through Jonah, and Jonah was a man who was comfortable where he was. He was serving the Lord where he was. And God came to him one day and said, you know what, we're going to do something different. And his reaction to that course correction defined Jonah as a biblical character for the rest of his life. And if you read the book of Jonah, it's a fairly depressing book, to be honest. Chapter 1 is, and you'll see it tonight, Chapter 1 is very depressing, the fact that you don't see Jonah go to God at all. And it ends with probably the worst ending you could have in a, biblical, in a Bible story. You don't see the close to Jonah's life. You don't see any great things he does afterwards. And in chapter 4, it ends with God rebuking him on the mountainside. So, as a Christian, as a mother, as a father, as a brother, a sister, as a son or daughter, how are you handling the course corrections God's given in your life? A little girl was talking to a teacher about whales one day. The teacher said it is physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though it's a very large animal, its throat is very small. Well, Jonah was swallowed by a whale, the little girl said. The irritated teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. 
The little girl said, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. Teacher asked, what if Jonah went to hell? Well, then you ask him. <laughs> so let's start with that in mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you have given us, Lord. Thank you for the awesome morning we had. Thank you just for the encouragement that Klaus has been to the church. Lord, I pray as they're still here for a little bit, help us to be an encouragement to them. Help them as they're on furlough for this year. Help them next year as they go back. Lord, thank you for missionaries in that part of the world. Lord, I pray as we jump into this book, this short book, but so many truths you have for us, Lord. Help us to listen with an open mind. Help us to learn something tonight. It's your name we pray, amen. The first chapter of Jonah is probably one of the basis forms of carnality that a believer can have. There is little to nothing positive said about Jonah in this chapter. A man who we know to be a prophet of God, who followed God, gets a request one day. And Jonah, you can learn a lot from Jonah, but the thing I found about Jonah is you can learn what not to do from the life of Jonah. You know those people you have maybe out of job or in a family or whatnot, and they say, you can learn a lot to do from that person, a lot of good stuff to do from that person. But you see that other person, that's a person you can learn a lot of what not to do. That's the kind of person Jonah is. And in chapter 1, in verse 1 through 3, we see a resistant servant. Now the word of the Lord came to, unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down into Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The first thing we see with the resistant servant is a clear request. Verse 2, God gave a clear and somewhat simple task <coughs> to a man that at the time they say was the closest person to God on the planet. What is your reaction to the principles and tasks that have been given to you from the Bible? What is your reaction to Matthew 20, 19 through 20? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, that verse is not meant for people like the Klauses who surrendered to go to Germany, who are doing exactly what that verse said. That verse is not meant for just them. That wasn't a restriction to people who have a certain calling. That wasn't a restriction to pastors, evangelists, and missionaries. That was a calling to every person who identifies as a Christian. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That doesn't mean get up behind a pulpit and declare the word of God. That means maybe taking a track to the store. Going in and seeing that bank tell you no know by first name and saying, hey, I want to invite you to church. That means knowing that firefighter, that EMT, you know, taking one of our new tracks and saying, hey, we're having a service in a couple weeks. I want you to come. What's your reaction to that? What's your reaction to Romans 12? If you ever want to read Romans 12 and get like kind of an understanding of what Christianity is, that's a good one. What's your reaction to be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another? I did church this week and last week, and I can honestly say we have great kids. There are a few kids that do not prefer one another or themselves. 
I had um, a kid come up to me today, hand out the quiet seat prize. Um, it's difficult decision today. I had a little boy come to me today and say, hey, I was quiet. I behaved today. I didn't get candy. I was like, what do I do with this one? He definitely wasn't preferring someone else over himself. So what's your reaction to those things? So we see a clear request, but in verse 3, we see a calculated rebellion. And it says, listen to this, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do we have that map I have? Look how calculated this is. He was in, he went down to Joppa, and instead of going some 500 miles, he decided, I'm going to flee to the other side of really the known world at the time. That wasn't a split-second decision. You know, rebellion is always costly, and it's always planned. A person cannot fall into sin. It's not falling off a cliff. It's a slide. And we as Christians can get so caught up in ourselves and we fall off and we rebel against Christ eventually. How do you react to God changing your plans? What actions, thanks James, do you take to stay comfortable in a place even if God is trying to move you? And we're good at making excuses for our lives. We have those excuses. I don't have the time to do something. I don't have the money to do it. That's a big one for college students. We'll have a missions conference come up. We'll have stewardship campaign come up. And they say, hey, pray about what to give. You should talk to college students. I'm like, I can't give a whole lot. I can't make my school bill. It's an excuse. What will people think of me? Or what about For him to knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To serve an all-knowing, all-powerful God, and yet we value our comforts as, Jonas, as Jonah did over his will for our lives. Matthew 6, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow take shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. I'm sure when Brother Klaus felt the calling of missions on his life, I'm sure there was a fear of how will I provide for my family for this. There's a fear of how me and my wife make a living. I'm sure when my dad 
was called here by the 12 people that voted on him. I'm sure there was some fear of, I've got two kids. How am I going to do that? There's a lot of fear when it comes to the will of God. But it's the only place to find true peace. And the will of God, just like it says, he clothed the, the sparrows. He feeds the sparrows. And how much more are we than birds? So we see a calculated rebellion. We see a resistant serpent leads to a resilient storm. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship to the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Humans, we often try to dictate the outcome of our circumstances. And in these verses, I see two attempts made by the, man, the men on the ship. The first attempt is made by the mariners and it's an attempt to control their circumstances. How many of you, when it comes to like a situation or a problem, you're the kind of person that can see different outcomes and you're like, I can take charge in this and do it. How many of you are kind of more assertive leaders in the room? Raise your hand. No one's going to raise their hand? Okay. I'm not. If I see a problem, and we'll get to this point, I'm the one that tends to ignore it. I'm like, I can't deal with that right now. I'm not doing that. But that's not what these mariners were doing. They had an attempt to control it. It's like they, these unbelievers relied on their own skill, ingenuity, and even their false gods to get them out of the storm. And so often we as believers rely on ourselves before we rely on God. I can't count on my hands how many times I've been at school going through an issue, and instead of stopping on my knees and praying to God for help, I look at the bank account, I look at the schedule, I'm like, how can I fix this? How can I do this? And I spend all this money and all this stress trying to fix it myself when all, in all reality, God said, just ask me. So we see an attempt to control, but we see an attempt to ignore. Look what it says in verse 5. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Another reaction that so many of us has is an attempt to try to ignore the problems that are there. We try to wade through the muck and pray it goes away. Jonah attempted to ignore the situation by sleeping through it. You say, well, he was sleeping. He didn't know about that. How many of you have ever been on a, on a boat or a ship? Raise your hand. It's not exactly a very still place to be. And I can imagine on this boat, he's laying fast asleep, and this storm comes up. I just imagine he wakes up and maybe starts to realize, like, a little suspicious, a storm like this. I'm trying to run away. I'm going to go back to sleep. It'll go away. I can imagine that Jonah was going through this and thinking, you know what, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. And you might be going through a trial right now. How are you reacting to it? You know, a sleeping Christian is useless. When it comes to either you going through a trial or a family member going through a trial, ignoring it does nothing for it. That trial will still be there. If you're going through a trial and you're realizing, like, I'll just stick it out. Maybe that's the way to do it. No. 
It'll still be there when you wake up. The correct response is to call for help. A few years ago, we had a flood. Uh, most of you guys remember that. Heidi was trapped in a new road to the interstate. But um, I remember I went to work that day. And Dad was saying, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to see if I can get the basement ready and we can, we can beat this. He's like, we, we can beat this. So I go to work. I get a call about an hour later saying, hey, if you can get home, you need to come home. And I remember going home to several inches of standing water in the basement. I remember pulling into the, I had to pull in the county road and park there because all the cars were in the driveway. I remember, I remember Chad and Dan were there. I remember Heidi was there. I remember all these people had come out to help. And they're helping us take everything out of the basement. And we were there till late in the evening. But we attempted to control the situation. But it wasn't until we asked for help that we beat the flood. We cannot expect to overcome our storm alone. We have to ask God for help. So a resistant servant leads to a resilient storm, which brings us to a risky solution. The shipmaster came to him and said unto him, Meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. As I said before, when a trial comes in your life, how do you react? We are never defined by our trials. We're defined by our reaction to the trials. You ever realize that? Jonah's not defined by, hey, go to Nineveh. Jonah's defined by going the opposite way. You're not defined by a financial crisis. You're defined by what you do after that financial crisis. What do people learn about you when you go through a trial? And Jonah's testimony in this part, portion of the chapter was lacking in several areas. First, it was lacking in a false testimony. If you look at verse 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Jonah was looked at as a man of God, but in all reality, that was a false image that he had. Sure, he was once a man of God, but his relationship with God was broken at the time. Do people see you and think of you as a faithful Christian? But deep down, you're a Christian in name only. We often have a saying out at school, if you do something, you preach something, sing something, it's praise the Lord. Say, give recognition to God. It's praise the Lord. It always becomes so motion. It's just motion that we do. And that's what Christianity can become is just emotion in your life. Say, yeah, I go to church. I might tithe. I might help at VBS this year. But in all reality, you go home and you're nothing like that at home. So we see a false testimony. We all see a faithless testimony. And they said, they said every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and lots fell on Jonah. This is the saddest portion of Jonah's life in my opinion. A man that is supposed to be the mouthpiece of God and cannot rely on the same God that commissioned him. This man so the will of God, so far from fellowship with God that he decides to rely on luck to save him. A faithless testimony. 
Faith is something that we learned at a very young age. We learned it last week in junior church. But the application of that knowledge can take a lifetime. Are you relying on yourself to get through a storm? Do people look at you and see someone who worries about everything? Do people look at you and see someone who only thinks about the trial, not the God who's in charge? We see a faithless testimony. We see a fake testimony. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which, may, that with, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Jonah claimed to fear God as he ran from him. We can become so caught up in the image that we try to uphold as a Christian that we lose our passion for Christ. Do people see you as a Christian or they only hear that you're a Christian? We're all in separate areas of life. Out at school, I'm surrounded by people my age, similar testimonies, similar goals and whatnot. And we're always told at, at school, when you go out into town, make sure people know you're a Christian. You need to be able to see, be seen and people see that's a Christian. You need to be able to go to someone's house to maybe do a job, maybe cut down a tree, maybe do some landscaping, maybe fix something. People see a real joyful, servant-hearted Christian. They can tell something's different about that person. Your testimony needs to be something of that. So we see a false testimony, faithless, fake, and a fleeing testimony. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah would be defined at this moment by his defining ship. What is the thing that people remember you for? It makes no sense to take the name of Christian and not cling to Christ. Jesus is not some magic charm to wear like a piece of jewelry we think will give us good luck. He is the Lord. His name is to be written in our hearts in such a powerful way that it creates within us a profound experience of peace and a heart that fill, is filled with his praise. Before these men cast Jonah over the side of the ship, they look at him as a man who fled from God. It's not recorded anywhere else that he meets these sailors again. You know what they met was a coward. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised an hour. Will the people in your life realize that this person loves the Lord? Or when you leave this world, will people not even think about your testimony? So we see a resistant servant led to being directed by a resilient storm which causes the men to take a risky solution which showcases a realized sovereign. So they took Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceeding and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days 
and three nights. Even through the storms of our lives and the rebellions that we commit, God's in the same place we left him. God's will for our lives is always perfect. It might not be safe, it might not be comfortable, but it's perfect. It's in his will that we'll find our identity and our peace. Course corrections are necessary when involved in the Christian life. But God's still in control. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Jonah's testimony was gone with these men in the ship. But it's because of his bad testimony that these men realized who the true God was. And I don't know about you, they thought he was dead. I don't want to be determined by what people think of me after my death. I want to point people to Christ before. What could God be doing in your life right now that you are resisting? You're trying to correct this course God has you on. You're trying to dictate where you're going to go. You're trying to control or ignore your circumstances. What futile attempts are you making to get out of that trial? Are you relying on God or are you relying on yourself? Most importantly, what do people see when they see you in a trial? One of the things about my brother going through cancer was that I never saw him discouraged. There's never once I was able to look at Tyler and see this thing's got him. When I called him after I found out when I was out of school, it sounded normal. And when he told the family, he said, if it comes back, I want to beat it. I want God to be known. That's the reaction to a trial. We have so many people that the first roadblock comes and they quit. The first struggle comes and they think God's not with them. We have so many Jonas that we know of who see God's will for them and run the other way. College has taught me many things. One of them is that your words mean nothing when your actions don't match. I'll have people tell me, take my word for it. I'm a man of my word. Growing up here, going to school, that means nothing to me anymore. I want to see the man of their actions. As Christians, we have a life that should glorify Christ. We can say we're doing that, but are we doing that in actuality? We have to realize that our actions as Christians are just as important as our words. We have to realize that no matter the trial, no matter the storm, no matter the different direction God takes us, he's completely 
in control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for, Lord, your love and protection. And Lord, the protection you showed Jonah, even at the end, by preparing that fish. Lord, I pray that we as Christians decide tonight that we're going to live for you both privately and publicly, Lord. Help us all not to resist your will, not to rely on ourselves during these storms, Lord. Help each of us, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.